Welcome to the podcast, Off the Beaten Path. I'm your host, The Wheel Man. People say the first step of any journey is always the hardest. Embarking on your first through hike of the Pacific Crest Trail is a daunting prospect. You're most likely excited and terrified, both itching to begin your adventure, yet simultaneously dreading the day it comes around. Charlie Knight is from England. He hiked the Pacific Crest Trail in 2016 to raise money and awareness for mental health. It's with these words that he wanted to inspire people going through serious mental and physical obstacles in life to get out there and challenge themselves and then realize their true potential. His story continues. It's your first day on the Pacific Crest Trail. You think to yourself, this isn't so bad. As you take your first step into the desert at 5.30 a.m., the car that dropped you off has disappeared into a cloud of dust and you've already taken your obligatory terminus photos. Your legs are immediately covered in dust. Your shiny new trail runners already turned to a dull shade of brown the second you stepped out of that car. You don't feel as isolated as you were expecting. You can still see the road and the lights of Campo, but you know, that will all change very soon. You reach the one mile sign and you laugh to yourself and say, hmm, only 2,649 miles more to go. But you still don't understand, not even close what that means. That distance is a meaningless number to you. A bunch of random figures thrown together, much like a small gaggle of a group you have somehow become a part of. You all stayed at the same trail angel's house the night before, and you have started hiking at the same pace. This will not last. Some of them will be fast. Others will be slow. And yet others will make it to Canada, and some will not. So you forge forward. You're a little bit sweaty, and your backpack is rubbing, but it's fine. You're having a good time. You know you're not walking very fast, but you have six months to get to Canada. Nothing matters right now because you're actually doing it. You're doing the thing you've been talking about for years. When you first told your friends and your family about it, you knew they didn't believe you. That only made you want to do it even more. And now, you're here. The sun comes up. The heat starts to get to you. You're not worried because you have plenty of water. You knew it would be 20 miles until the first reliable source, and you knew the desert heat would be bad. But even so, this is something else. You slap on the sunscreen as if it'll make a difference as you push on. In a couple of months' time, you'll have thrown away your sunscreen just to save weight. But for now, it's your lifeline. For a few minutes, you start to wonder about the heat stroke. And as a result, you begin to drink more water than you should. It's fine. Everything is fine. As the midday heat reaches an intolerable level, you pass a lovely, cool, shady area and consider stopping there for a lunch break. You decide it's too early and you'll stop at the next good spot. It's an hour and a half before you find the next shade. You are lightheaded and ravenous. You eat lunch and rest for a while. You've never felt anything as pleasurable as it feels to take off your shoes. You don't want to leave, but you know you have to keep moving. You then make it to the 15 miles to Hauser Creek, which you knew would be dry, but you still had a glimmer of hope that there would be some water there. It's now 3 p.m., and you had planned to stop here for the night, 
but you didn't want to push yourself by making it 20 miles to Lake Marina. But it's just five more miles, and it's early, and you still feel okay. You can make it. You heard the climb up to Hauser Creek was tough, but it doesn't look too bad from here. Then you decide to go for it. Five minutes into that hike, you realize it was a mistake. Your pack feels heavier than it did all day, even though you've drunk most of your water. You're crawling along at a snail's pace and probably leaving a similar slime trail behind you. You're sweating that much. Other hikers come up behind you and startle you, asking if they can pass. They make it look so easy. You hate them. You want to take a break, but there's no shade. You're drinking water way too fast, and you know, but you can't stop yourself. You find a huge rock with the shady nook to rest in. You sit there for a long time. You know you need to keep hiking, but just a few more minutes. You eventually drag yourself out and keep climbing. An irritatingly cheerful hiker strolls past. Almost there, he yells at you jovially. You hope he falls. You then feel bad for thinking that. You can see the top of the climb. It's so close. Take a grubby cliff bar out of your pocket and inhale it, trying to absorb every last drop of energy you need for this last push. It seems to help. You then, you make it to the top. It's over. It wasn't so bad after all. You collapse by the side of the trail. You drink too much water again. You take some photos. You shout, almost there, at the hikers behind you struggling to the top. They hate you. It's all downhill from here, you think. Easy. But you're wrong. You have four miles left to go, which feels like ten. You go down, you go up, you go down, you go up. You give some water to a struggling hiker who has run out and hope that someone does the same for you if you ever find yourself in that particular situation. You expect to see Lake Morina at every turn, but it's not there. You start to think you've gone the wrong way. Suddenly, out of nowhere, the shining blue disk of Lake Marina fills your vision. The sun setting behind the lake casts a supernatural evening glow over the world, and it feels incredible. You bound down the mountain faster than you've moved all day. Soon, you'll be in a comfortable campsite, surrounded by people with as much water as you could ever need and a nice hot meal, even if it is just instant mashed potatoes. You then set your tent up for the first time. You eat a grotesque amount of food. You receive your first trail magic from a friendly couple in an RV and tell yourself your faith in humanity has been restored. You haven't seen anything yet, though. You flick through your photos from the day and you chat with your new hiker friends. You're happy. You consider cowboy camping but decide against it. There will be plenty more opportunities for that. You clamber into your sleeping bag and then you fall asleep the second your head hits the pillow you've made for yourself out of a bundle of clothes. You feel great. Your first day was everything you hoped it would be and more. You hope all the other days will be as good as this, but they won't. You'll have the best days of your life on the trail, but you may also have some of the worst. You'll get sick, you'll get bored, you'll fall out with people, and at times you will regret everything. But when you make it to Canada, none of it will matter. Get through day one and you can get through anything. All right, uh, welcome listeners. Thanks for tuning in to my podcast. 
Of course, I am your host, the Willman, and uh, you, of course, are the listener. Today, we dive right on into part three or the conclusion of 2650 Give or Take a Few. My friend Aaron has done that very same Pacific Crest Trail. He has amazing stories to tell, and today on the program, you're going to hear about trail magic, trail angels, how you can get involved, and all kinds of other little fun stuff along the way. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. Off the Beaten Path starts now. So we're going to start this third and final episode, the conclusion of 2650. Uh, pick up the conversation where we left off. Aaron and I are going to be talking about wildlife in the forest. Anytime you go on a long hike, you're going to see wildlife. So, you know, the, the most wildlife I saw would, would understandably be on the longest hike I did. And it's 2,650 miles-ish, but ish. constant reroutes change that number every year. But over the course of that hike, I saw, you know, deer. I saw, I think I saw probably 20 rattlesnakes. I almost stepped on a few. Uh, you Scary. see bears. Um, I never really was that afraid of the wildlife. You know, the bears run away when you see them. I only had one snake chase me. Um, but <laughs> I, you can outrun snakes. I did have a, a snake that almost went in my sleeping bag. That part was a little unnerving, but uh, we, we worked it out. Probably the coolest wildlife I've seen on the trail was, uh, I saw a porcupine. You ever see a marmot? Oh, marmots everywhere, especially yeah. in the Sierra. They're so cute and fuzzy. They're cute and fuzzy until you go to Mount Whitney, and then you set down your pack to the last little stretch of the trail that goes to the summit because there's this little like junction where there's a connector trail down below. You're going to so tell me they're thieves now, right? Yes, they're <laughs> thieves. They're dirty thieves. You leave your packs at this place where you're supposed to leave your pack to go do the last, you know, whatever few yards effectively. And then you come back and then there's marmots everywhere and they're getting your food, blah, 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 blah. So I like the marmots from a distance, but they're, they're squirrely little jerks sometimes. For a time in my life, I lived in Colorado, Newcastle, Glenwood Springs area, which is relatively close to Aspen and, and places like that. But I remember the marmots on top of the mountain were awesome. And to me, they were cute and fuzzy, but I never had to leave my backpack there and allow them to do their little thievery thing, which is just kind of funny to think about. Like, most people think raccoons are the are the thieves of the forest. Uh, turns out it's marmots. Yeah, marmots are... It's like raccoons are bigger and can do more damage, but marmots, they're like there's more of them. It's sort of like... Uh, it's like the T-Rex in Jurassic Park would be the raccoons, but the velociraptors are the real enemy, right? Those are the marmots. Can I make that comparison? Yeah, it's fair. I like it. Um, we're talking about through hiking with Aaron Nicholson. And there's a culture that goes hand in hand with this, just like just like anything. I mean, many things have cultures associated with them. And through hiking is one of those deals. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the culture, man, I'll tell you, it is... Uh, it's... It's great. You get to know people you never know, people from all walks of life. They're generally people who, I'm going to say as a generality, are people who kind of fly by the seat of their pants because they're people who were able to take four months off, didn't really have any other commitments, or maybe they quit a job to do this, as was my case for the PCT. But there's a whole community out there, and it's based on a few basic principles. First of all, you respect everybody. That generally happens. You know, occasionally you get some misunderstandings, but you got to respect everybody. 
Uh, hike your own hike. Don't tell somebody else how to hike their hike. They're like, oh man, you're using that water filter. That one sucks. You got to use this one. No, that's not okay to do that in that community. Everyone hikes their own hike. Everyone can finish the trail having a totally different set of gear. And you know what? They're all going to make it. There's this whole idea of doing things and accepting things on donation. So there's a bunch of people who maybe aren't hiking that year, but are generally aware of the through hiker community. And they will actually go to road crossings and provide uh, what they call trail magic, which is just like, you know, bonus food or snacks or whatever. And then they might, you know, they might have a little jar up there, just accept some donations to cover their gas or whatever they paid for the food to give to these hikers. Maybe. Usually trail magic is just a freebie. But there's never this expectation that you're going to have to pay for something it's just just this great like oh you have something and i you need something and i have it so we share it's it's really um it's really uh i'm going to use the word egalitarian there are people who will follow the herd north in their cars and just go to the road crossings just to give stuff to through hikers there's this one guy his name was dr soul and he had this pickup with a camper and uh, he worked on people's feet. He actually was a doctor. And so you, I saw him, I think, a couple times. You get to a road crossing, and there's Dr. Soul, and he's, like, popping people's blisters and cleaning them up and, and just washing their feet just as a service. And it's really amazing, the whole concept of on donation and how that works in this hiking community. Another big one is hiker boxes. So you'd get to a, a town stop or whatever, and there'd be this cardboard box. And if people had extra food, extra supplies, whatever, they'd put it in the box and then when you got to that town, you could raid the box and see if there's stuff in there that you want or need, right? This whole thing is none of it's about profit or about, you know, getting ahead of other people. It's all just about we're doing this together. And that was really great. And didn't you use that box that you found it came in handy? Yeah, um, I found some great stuff in the boxes. I lost my pocket knife, found a box in there, or found a knife in there. Um, uh, you know, sometimes maybe you didn't pack quite enough food in your drop and you're running low so you can you realize oh man i got 70 miles on this box that i just mailed myself i'm just so hungry i don't think it's going to last so you raid the hiker box and there's a couple extra bonus meals in there oh hey somebody had this box of mac and cheese they didn't want okay great there's a dinner you know and it just works out and this whole concept of this expression of the trail will provide which is said pretty frequently out there a lot of that is through the hiker box i found things in a hiker box that i didn't even realize i needed until i found them Trail magic's a thing, then. Oh, yeah. Trail magic's a big thing. Is that the same thing as trail angels, or what is that all about? So trail angels are regular volunteers who sometimes even host people in their houses. I think you probably saw in that documentary I showed you, uh, the Softleys in Agua Dulce, California, have hundreds of hikers who go through every year, and they stay in their backyard when they get yeah. to Agua Dulce. They were like these cool people that just like, if you're a hiker, you are welcome to their property. Take a shower, stay the night, get a hot meal, get going whenever. Absolutely. And there's no uh, there's no obligation for doing that. You know, like I said, a lot of it's done, quote unquote, on donations. So if you want to contribute, great. It's generally considered appropriate to do that. But it's not, there's no... Trail angels do it because they want to do it. And so... And you encounter these kind of people all throughout the hike. Yeah. There's a whole... Uh, sometimes they're kind of networked together like they know each other and they'll communicate. Sometimes they're just completely independently doing this. But people... It's usually people who are interested in the community. 
of through hikers. Maybe they want to through hike themselves, but either have or have not, or haven't been able to, but they're involving themselves in a, a volunteer role and they'll, you know, sometimes you can mail your box to their address. Sometimes you can, like you said, stay the night or take a shower, whatever. I, tr- I stayed at a, a couple called Ziggy and the bear. They were trail angels who had trail names. And I remember getting to Ziggy and the bear after, um, this huge, huge descent out of the mountains and I got there and it was great to just sort of post up under, they had this like big, uh, set of Costco tents. Like, you know, those, those like tent garages you buy at Costco, their whole backyard was full of these and it was full of dozens of hikers just camping in their backyard. It was awesome. So these, um, this annual pilgrimage, um, for the Pacific Crest Trail specifically starts with the kickoff event. Uh, with the weirdest acronym I have ever seen, A-D-Z-P-C-T-K-O. It's got to stand for something. Yeah, so I think the official way to pronounce it is Adzibasidko. I think it, it depends on whom you Said ask. that pretty good. Um, so when I was through hiking the PCT, uh, I did go to kickoff, and it was at uh, Lake Marina Campground, which is 20 miles north of the border where you actually start. So I got dropped off the at the border. I hiked the 20 miles to kickoff. And then I, you know, spent like the weekend there at kickoff. Um, and it's this big event where they have like presentations. Uh, Half Mile was there. Uh, he's a, a guy who, Half Mile is his trail name. He has a set of maps for the PCT uh, that he did entirely on a volunteer basis. He had people collect data and he made a bunch of maps. Uh, and that was the, the big one when I was was hiking was the Half Mile maps. And he was there. He also at that time did the water report. So anyways, you have these professionals so to speak in the hiking community who were there giving presentations on what to expect because that's for a lot of people that's the first time for them sounds like there's an opportunity to meet all kinds of people different characters what's the what's who's someone that stands out in your mind as just a crazy character somebody with a big bang personality i would have to say this guy i met they called him charlie charlie wasn't his actual name but it was like it was like a trail name. They called him that because they called him Day Hiker Charlie. And the reason they called him that is because even though he was on, I think, his fourth through hike of the PCT that year, 2013, his backpack looked like just a day pack. It was so small. He had pared down his equipment to literally just looked like he was out for a day hike. And Day Hiker Charlie was just this kind of a comical guy. He was sort of a prankster. Um, I remember I was at a town stop. I met him. I bumped into him a couple times. I was at this town stop, and there's this person about to take a bite of a burger or a sandwich that they had ordered at some little mom-and-pop restaurant, and he leans in behind them right as they're about to take a bite, and he says, don't do it, <laughs> just to, just to like, screw with them. And I'm like, this guy's funny. And I asked him, you know, how many times he through-hiked, and he said he was on his fourth time. I said, well, what do you do, like, meaning what's his job? And he's like, oh, I'm retired. This guy was probably 30 at the time. I don't know what his situation was or what allowed him to do that. I think he, like I said, was, I use the term recreationally homeless. I think he just really liked that. And that's just what he did. And uh, he was a nice guy. He walked with me into Syed Valley. I had hurt my foot in Northern California. And so I was kind of limping a little bit at that point. And uh, it was nice that he was there along with this other guy named uh, Love It or Leave It. The three of us rolled into Syed Valley together. And uh, that's that goes back to what I was saying about the community helping you out. So I was in a slump there. Like my foot hurt. I was like, man, I'm really worried. I'm not going to be able to finish. And I bumped into those two guys, and they got me through it. You know, they just having that camaraderie helped. That made it for me. 
you know, we touched a little bit on the language of through hiking. Sure, yeah. So I, I wrote down some examples to give you. Um, I'll start with the word yogi, to yogi, right? So remember, you remember Yogi Bear? The, I do remember Yogi Bear. The the, the cartoon, basket. not the baseball player. That was Yogi Bear. But I think they're, I think that was how they named him. I remember him, him too. Yeah. Um, anyways, so Yogi, Yogi Bear, the cartoon, uh, as I recall, he's all about getting the picnic baskets, right? And in the cartoon, he would just kind of steal the baskets, I think. But um, so to <laughs> yogi, it was questionable. It was, it was. Uh, to yogi is a verb meaning to sort of. It's usually when you are at some kind of like road crossing or park or something that you happen to pass through, and there's people there in a car, like quote unquote normal people, just there doing their thing, and you need something like a ride or something and you kind of go up there and you be like deliberately friendly to them and you generally tell them what you're doing and you try to like really quickly make friends with them and then you ask these kind of leading questions like oh yeah I I really uh, just needed to get to the town uh, you know by five before the post office closes I was really hoping uh, I could find somebody you know some way to get down there and you don't necessarily ask them for the ride but you make it pretty obvious that that's what you're going for and you usually get it and that's if you're good at it so that's yogiing, right? That's a, that's a verb. To yogi is to try to get something, not necessarily stealing like the bear, but uh, there's a few other ones. Vitamin I is a big one. That's ibuprofen. <laughs> yes. Um, Seems necessary. So you know how the military, they call those ranger skittles, I think is what they call them. So I in, in don't the, know that, but thank you. <laughs> in the thru-hiker community, it's vitamin I. Uh, so people take a lot of vitamin I. It's not really that healthy to take that much vitamin I, but sometimes you do what you got to do. Uh, 10 by 10 is another big one, and that's for people who are intent upon making 10 miles of trail before 10 a.m. I never had it quite as prescribed as that, but you hear that phrase out there. Scarf and barf, uh, you know, we talked about that, just basically pigging out to the point of being sick. Because you've got the hiker hunger, that's another one. Um, When you are exerting that many calories every day, your body just makes you hungry all the time. You want food, you want food, you want food, and you just eat constantly. And when you get into town, you can eat so much uh, because you've got the hiker hunger, or just the hunger is another one. Another one would be like slack packing. There's another uh, term on that. So like, for example, my first day on the PCT, I chose to carry my backpack from the border to Lake Marina Campground, right? But those first 20 miles, since you're doing them in one day and you're probably going to stay at Lake Marina, whoever drops you off could conceivably just take your camping gear like your sleeping bag to the campground and you don't have to carry it so that would be another one that would be an innocence of slack packing and that kind of brings us to the bottom end of this uh, re-entry you've done finished your hike you've seen what there is to see you're, you're physically changed i imagine oh yeah I think at the end of my PCT hike, which is the longest of these through hikes that we were talking about, um, I think I was down to 195, and I had started at around 230. But did you feel healthier? I did. I felt like I could do anything. I felt I had so much energy. I felt like I could jump 20 feet. I felt like I, I, I was the healthiest and fittest I've ever been in my life, and it was a great feeling. And even on... Other through hikes I've done that were maybe lesser mileage, like 200 miles. By the time you get to the end of that, you get whipped into shape pretty quick, and you just feel really good uh, physically. As soon as I get back into civilization and I stop exercising every day and I start, 
eating, or I usually, since you still have the hunger at that point, I just keep pigging out. I'm usually back to my average weight in no time, but um, <laughs> it's you do. There is a significant physical change, and I would say I generally feel very healthy when I'm out there doing that activity. A journey like this, it, it seems like you you go into it fairly confident, and along the way, you lose a little bit about of that confidence. And you also gain some of that confidence. But when you complete the, the journey, did you find that your confidence, personal confidence in, your, in yourself and your ability to accomplish goals was much higher than when you began? Yeah, definitely. Um, when you get to the end of the trail, particularly a really long trail, you just have this sense of, man, if I can do that, I feel like I can do anything. It is a sense of accomplishment that is unlike any other because you have been out there and you've physically done it and it was your planning and it was your body that got you there and you like I said you had that priority reset where you had spent a significant amount of your time only thinking about the bare essentials of life so you've got a priority reset along with a confidence boost and you think man whatever I decide to do it's going to be important and I'm going to be able to do it you just it's like you feel like you can do anything what has this taught you about life it's taught me to not sweat the small stuff. If it doesn't matter on the trail, it doesn't really matter. So when I come here in real life, so to speak, in my everyday life, and something happens that's going to stress me out or is going to cause some kind of a problem, I think, would this matter on the trail? And if it doesn't direct directly implicate my food supply, my ability to just exist then the answer is it doesn't really matter. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter at all, but it it gives you a different perspective and mindset. So I would say generally I am able to deprioritize what would normally be little stressors that would bother me, and I'm able to just take a deep breath and say, you know what, I can still hike 30 miles today if I want to. Folks that want to get involved, you're you're still involved, even you know even if you don't do the trail every year. You're involved in a with an organization called the Pacific Crest Trail Association, and I know you wanted to talk a little bit about that. So, um, let's do that. Uh, what? Who are they? What are they about? So, the Pacific Crest Trail Association, the PCTA, is a nonprofit organization, and they do a lot of the trail maintenance. So, there's a lot of miles on the PCT. And there's a lot of logs that fall every winter, and there's a lot of erosion that happens, etc. So to keep that trail tip-top, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers uh, that go out every year, and they cut the logs off the trail, they rebuild the part that got, you know, the slide or whatever needs to be done, they do it. You know, I've always wondered how that happens. I always just thought it was a U.S. Forest Service crew or Conservation Corps. Um, not that I've been on the Pacific Crest Trail, but I've been on other trails. And every season, you know, somebody comes through and cleans it up, spiffies it up. Yeah, and a lot of people do think, oh, it must be the Forest Service doing it. And the Forest Service um, is responsible for a lot of the land on which the PCT goes. But they also, you know, there's budgeting issues and whatnot. And so increasingly land managers such as the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management and others... Uh, rely more and more on volunteers and specifically on volunteer organizations like the PCTA. So I got involved with the PCTA after my 2010 section hike of Oregon and I just kind of wanted to do it as a way to give back and just because I think it's important. Uh, I actually have an adopted section of the Pacific Crest Trail near Summit Lake and so we go out and cut the logs off, 
basically as soon as the snow melts and uh, we just clean it up and make sure it's ready for the anybody who wants to use it. And it's really uh, a great thing to do. It's really rewarding. You make a lot of good friends. Um, I also have helped give presentations on how to volunteer uh, with the PCTA. I'm giving presentations at REI uh, with a group of other volunteers. It's just a real good organization. They got a website, PCTA.org, and uh, they make it real easy and fun to volunteer. Uh, I would really recommend checking out um, if you're interested in volunteering and or hiking, that would be a great place to start, PCTA.org. What would you say to someone who's never done this before? Well, I would say read about it. Read, read, read. There's all kinds of information online. Check out blogs. Uh, Walking with Wired is a good one. Read about other people's experiences. And if it sounds like something you want to do, all the information is out there. Uh, it just takes you going and getting it. And uh, if it calls to you, then do it. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Aaron, for taking the time out of your day to come and talk with uh, me about this. And Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me here. And uh, it's been real great talking about my experiences. And uh, appreciate you uh, taking the time to have this conversation with me. It's been awesome. Off the Beaten Path is written, recorded, and produced at Nine Toes Studios in Eugene, Oregon. All guests for Off the Beaten Path are generally people who I know, and they do amazing things when they're not busy working their proverbial nine-to-fives. Special thanks to my friend Aaron Nicholson for being willing to be part of this podcast. You're awesome, brother. And a special shout-out to Charlie Knight, who is the guy who wrote the narrative at the beginning of this program. Music for Off the Beaten Path is copyright-free and no attribution is needed. And finally, the good people at Anchor.fm for making my effort possible. Supervision and guidance and inspiration for Off the Beaten Path is provided without any expectations whatsoever by Rollo, the studio dog, and of course, all of you. On the next episode of Off the Beaten Path, we visit with Casey Rainbow, my co-host for another podcast I've done called Two Drink Minimum. Until then, my friends, get out there and enjoy life and remember what Aaron says. If it calls to you, then do it. See you later.